I V M. All right, welcome once again to another episode of a show about crypto. And my guest again, I think for the third time this season, is Varun Sethi. Varun, we've got to stop meeting like this. Every time we meet, there's fresh panic in the markets. We have got to come up with a better way of meeting. So I'll get right into it. Uh, for those who might be discovering this podcast later or a few years later, I just like to mention that we're recording this in January 2022. where anybody who's looking at their crypto portfolios or their crypto graphs has tears uh, streaming down their face it has not been a good few weeks for anybody's crypto portfolio and it's i think one of the worst sort of dips in recent memory and that's what i'm here to talk to varun sethi about varun what's going on why the blood bath well uh, i think uh, i've been through the 2017 blood bath in the crypto ecosystem so this looks well i think this looks slightly different i would say this looks more mature in the sense that uh, 2017 every tom and harry was able to raise funds and uh, of course there was no real solution or no real output by the people by the projects who had raised funds so obviously there was a crash that was imminent in 2018 now when i look back uh, especially in the last one year i think uh, things have been good there have been more institutional capital coming into this ecosystem which of course brings in more professionalism from retail traders it's moving on to more vc funds now talking about institutional capital flowing in so from that perspective i think this is just a passing phase i'm not uh, a very avid trader from that perspective so don't expect any investment advice from my side but when i look at the overall market many of my clients are doing uh, trading at global exchanges so from that perspective i think more or less they are looking at a long term bull run in this market so a short bear market i i think uh, all of us can bear this thing Is this also in some way the cryptocurrency sort of ecosystem which has so far or at least in the last few years you had the sense that it was doing its own thing and sort of marching to the beat of its own fife has it now sort of aligned itself since you mentioned that there is institutional money and there is all of those things has it as a result of that though also now aligned itself more closely with other global financial queues in the sense that we're seeing at exactly this time there seems to be a sell off in the american stock markets the indian stock market have also responded to those queues etc so is this also just a sort of now recalibration and realigning of the crypto ecosystem into the traditional financial ecosystem i think that's a very good observation i also feel that uh how it works is that as i mentioned 2018 they were primarily retail investors small family offices who were doing these trades now with institutional capital we see most of our clients have raised funds in the last one one and a half years uh, during the covid uh, time periods now when i look back at the market uh, maybe the last one month or so has seen of course uh, red lines uh, in the entire crypto industry but realignment of the crypto industry with more professional money if i may call that so the institutional capital coming in of course institutional capitals they might question uh, some of the methodology some of the disclosures some of the risk uh, uh, appetite that they have so obviously there was expected realignment of the market so that is exactly what has happened and again from a legal perspective i feel that there have been a few regulations around the world which may or may not have directly or indirectly affected the overall crypto market but the overall scenario again from a legal as well as the business opportunity perspective still looks very very good and um, 
this is still we've got to still understand we we are still very early into this industry so say it's still work in progress when it comes to regulatory and legal compliances people do not yet know so we are very very close to let's say an indian budget so we do not know how to disclose correctly the total crypto holdings for example similarly it's not just a problem for india or a challenge for india it is similar challenges across the world australia recently came up with a standing committee guideline which is submitted to the parliament which is very positive however exactly on the very same week singapore came up with a restrictive guideline that uh, advertisements to uh, retail investors would be restricted and thereby it it might have sort of affected the overall flow of of the crypto ecosystem so well there are contrasting styles of how countries are looking at it russia say for example came up with a almost uh, blanket ban on the cryptos but when we look at let's say us fed also coming up with a similar uh, cbdc guidelines and it is yet open to uh, uh, deliberations and discussions with the stakeholders in the industry so lots of things happening again from a regulatory and legal perspective i feel this is still work in progress might take some more time but the overall scenario still is bullish institutional capital coming and brings more professionalism so the realignment thing that you talked about perfectly correct so also to what you said about the changes in sort of regulations that are now slowly slowly sweeping across the world i want to zoom in specifically on russia that you mentioned this is the big one though right in the sense that not just from the perspective of the fact that yes you could be, uh, ban the trading of cryptocurrency in russia and thus affect the market uh, my understanding is that russia and eastern europe are also huge and heavy mining centers and also just generation centers so how is this going to play out over the next couple of weeks slash months slash years and what should we be ready for is your read on the basis of what's happening in russia at least correct so we cannot deny the fact that russia of course one of the top 3 uh, mining centers in the world after i think uh, china and kazakhstan for that matter however when we look at it uh, similar challenges have happened in china as well there have been a short term liquidation crisis or a liquidity crisis or there have been challenges with our market has fallen primarily because if you if you look at the russian law or the proposed law for example given the fact that this is a proposed law this is only by the central bank of russia not a parliament passed uh, legislation currently and rather yes, the ministry yes. of finance is opposed to what uh, the central bank has stated so it's an internal tussle which is going on that's an interesting perspective to look into that the ministry oh, of finance cool. i didn't know that okay okay so so ministry of finance actually uh, says that regulate and not ban and uh, the reserve bank there the central bank says that uh, we've got to ban till the time we do not have clarity so that's a good tussle to have uh, generally from a legal perspective now specifically talking about what can happen in the short run of course there can be challenges pertaining to let's say initial because there might be a fall in the mining efforts that are ongoing and russia being a massive mining center siberia is one of the biggest uh, mining centers uh, in the world Uh, I think this is very similar to what happened in China. That in the short run, it did affect the hash rates across the world. However, what is also interesting in the proposed uh, Russian law is that they are not disallowing people to move out of Russia or hold cryptos outside of Russia. So it's like more like a ring fencing only for the local residents there in Russia. So like literally so everything like else in the Russian economy. Literally like everything else in the <laughs> Russian economy. Go out and have holdings so all over the world. Bless them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So Russians have real estate properties across the world. There's no stopping that, and they still have restrictive covenants inside Russia. So exactly the same thing that happened in China 
that if you're a Chinese, they move from China, mainland to Hong Kong and other locations and then across the world. So I think in the short run, while this readjustment and realignments will happen, uh, in the long run, I don't foresee this action. And also given the fact that this action has been challenged by its own Ministry of Finance. Yeah. So I don't, yeah. I don't think so that in the long run, this poses a massive challenge. Yes, there have been things like uh, consumer protection, which should of course be looked into. There have been things like uh, it's a growing industry, so we need to regulate. I think it's more like a short term solution that they're looking forward to that since we do not know where this is heading to currently. So mm-hmm. let's just ban it till the time we research more about it and come come back with more detailed regulations is what my take is on this topic. Hello and welcome back to a show about crypto where I am in conversation with Varun Sethi about crypto regulations and the current market crash. So since you mentioned China, and this is actually a point that uh, my colleague Kashyap also brought up, how do you, how do we sort of unravel the paradox that while we have a blanket ban in China, Binance, which is basically a Chinese cryptocurrency exchange, is still around and thriving. So how does that sort of work from a regulatory perspective? Where What, what are we to understand? And like you mentioned, right, on the one hand, you've got the finance ministry of Russia saying one thing, and you've got the central bank saying one thing. So how do we resolve or sort of in our head make sense of these paradoxes? So I would say, legally speaking, Binance is no longer a Chinese company. It's registered in the Caribbeans, in Cayman Islands. It's got offices in Seychelles. So primarily, when you say it started off as a Chinese company, however, it moved its headquarters to Hong Kong, and now its headquarters legally, at least on the legal documents, are in Cayman Islands. So from that perspective, uh, we don't call it a a Chinese company, just like Zoom. Zoom started off uh, uh, from China, and now it's a listed entity in US. So technically, it should be called as a US. US entity. So from that perspective, Binance, of course, I think I think we've got to look at law differently now that these companies will challenge the jurisdictional limitations that we have. So when you say Binance, it's not a Chinese company, it's a global company and it can open centers anywhere in the world as long as the local anti-money laundering compliances and the consumer protection are adhered to, it can surely operate. So Binance operates through Vazirx directly and indirectly in India. However, there are similar exchanges which will then tie up and there will be consolidation. Today, any Tom and Harry is coming right, out with a crypto right. exchange. And Correct. we expect that there would definitely be consolidation at a global level. So bigger players will will uh, acquire smaller players and thereby the overall compliance level will go up. Because for also, we've got to look at it into this manner as well, that a regulator cannot deal with 300 crypto exchanges in a country. Right. However, if those 300 crypto exchanges consolidate into, let's say, 30 uh, in the long run, government is actually able to deal with 30 in a far more professional, far more organized manner and governance laws can actually be built more easily. So what we are looking forward to is that while there is decentralization today, there would be some sort of consolidation and centralization from a crypto perspective, which will happen across the world and thereby the regulatory framework will will become easier to get formed. Currently, it's still work in progress. Got it. Thank you for asking that question. Also, shout out to Binance for moving its headquarters to um, the Caribbean and to the Cayman Islands and to Seychelles. Nothing screams confidence in a company like, hey, we're based in the Cayman Islands. Nothing. Uh, Okay, so now to sort of come uh, at the question from another way. This is just something that you mentioned in your previous question, just so our audience understand. What are these hash rates that you mentioned that will be dropping just because we try to explain all basic jargon to our audience? 
In very simple terms, removing all the jargons and everything, in very simple terms, how it works is that every new cryptocurrency coin, it needs to go through a process which is called mining. Mining is primarily multiple computers competing with each other and whichever computer wins that computing exercise gets a certain reward. And that reward is the new coin which that computer wins. So think of it like a race where multiple uh, computers are competing with each other and whichever, whoever wins the race gets a certain reward. That reward is the new coin. And that is how mining or add-on or new coins are created. And the competing power is actually determined on the basis of who is able to calculate or solve a certain complex mechanism or a complex question faster than anyone else. Now, as a result of which, as a result of which, what has happened is that people have piled up more and more and more uh, computing powered and more uh, powerful uh, computers across the world. And these computers, when stacked up together, are called a mining rig. And that mining rig consumes lots of energy. One of the key challenges that the Russian Reserve Bank also states that there is lots of uh, energy consumption, which is almost now equivalent to the entire energy consumption of UK. And and this, really? yes, so, so these challenges have been sort of brought about across the world for environmental uh, concerns as well. However, I would like to also point out a very interesting take that the standing committee uh, submitted to the Australian parliament. It mentioned that in case someone is willing to come up with a solution on renew using renewable energy for mining, they should be given a certain tax holiday. That's a very interesting way of That's looking cool. at it. Yeah. Yeah. And other than that, there have been other methodologies and other proof of stakes wherein a certain methodology can be adopted, wherein electricity may not be consumed. There have been projects in India uh, who are now thinking of not using uh, electricity as a means of computing the consensus to decide who wins the next coin. So we might look at these innovative okay. options as well, wherein ex- without using electricity or without using the proof of stake mechanism, which is a more traditional mechanism or a proof of work mechanism, you can actually go forward and uh, have other methodologies of consensus. So specifically, hash rate is the speed at which you compute and the computers compete with each other. The higher the hash rate, the higher and more easier the coins get mined. I think with these Uh, restrictions happening in Russia, the hash rate might come down, which means less computers are competing across the world. And thereby, the add-on to the new coins becomes more difficult and thereby the existing demand becomes restricted. Supply is there, demand is low. So uh, rather the supply becomes low and the demand is there, so the price might go up. Okay, there we go. Thank you for explaining that. Now this is again as a sort of catch-up to what we've talked about earlier, how where are we on regulation in India? Especially since you mentioned um, at the time of recording this, we're 30 days away from a budget. How's it looking in terms of regulation for crypto in India since our last conversation? I mean, not our last, our first conversation, which was now almost a year ago. How's it looking? So when I look at the Indian context, so we are we are sort of not expecting a massive uh, declaration or a disclosure from the finance minister in the upcoming budget. However, from from what is going on across the world, we look at, let's say, Singapore coming up with restrictive covenants on the advertising part of it. However, mm-hmm. it is still going forward and issuing licenses to cryptocurrency exchanges. So that's a positive step, yet ensuring consumer protection. That's a very smart move. Uh, alternatively, we look at, let's say, the Australian ecosystem. In the last three months, it has submitted a massive uh, standing committee report to the parliament. And as I mentioned, it it stated about uh, using renewable energy, also building smart cities on cryptos. 
Other than that, US Fed has come up with its own paper on CBDCs and those those papers are open for discussion and submissions as a feedback uh, to the authorities by the stakeholders in the ecosystem till March 1st. Also, the Russian ban that we are talking about, that's more like a sort of primarily three things. It says that you should not use it for uh, as a legal tender. You should not uh, have, let's say, trading activities within Russia. However, you can still go forward and hold that thing. So it still wants to explore and experiment uh, what happens with the crypto ecosystem. So it does not want to miss out on the innovation part. So from that perspective, when we look at the Indian bill, we of course could not get uh, our formal hands on the uh, draft bill. But I think apparently the government felt that they were they were not in sync with the developments around the world. And hence it refrained from tabling that bill in the winter session. I think a more mature approach would be needed. Uh, perhaps we can have submissions from the stakeholders in the Indian ecosystem, the crypto ecosystem to make submissions to the Indian government. And then we can, we can talk about regulations. Currently, it's work in progress in most of the countries of the world. Of course, El Salvador last year came up with Bitcoin as a legal tender in that country. Yeah. And it has still sort of... It, it did not sort of solve the volatility issue, but it's still an interesting experiment to do for a smaller country. India, of course, uh, I, I don't think so. The time has come, uh, at least as of now. No. So no. from a from a purely from a regulatory perspective, I think uh, it may not be a big announcement, but we are expecting something to happen or at least some disclosure to happen in the upcoming uh, uh, budget session or the budget uh, that happens next month. It's interesting that you mentioned about regulating, about Singapore being, because this is actually something that I've been actually not even conflicted about. It's just something that I've wondered about for a while is what you mentioned is cracking down on crypto advertising. All right. Because I'll be honest, even in India, I'll see crypto ads and I'll, I'll see what they're playing during and I'll see this thing. And there's a part of me that gets worried where I'm like, where's the disclaimer, right? More than anything else, just where's, where's the disclaimer? Right? Because at the end of the day, I think one of the big differences between advertising I've seen for traditional financial instruments and advertising I've seen for crypto is crypto seems to very specifically target the young. Right, What it's trying to explain to people is, and, and let's face it, like younger people are significantly more financially vulnerable in the sense that you're still building your nest egg. You haven't done any such thing today. I know young people who, like today, you and I can sit here and have a mature reason conversation about different coins and different, but a lot of kids like just rush into it like, oh, matlab, Doge is pumping, Elon Musk bol raha bhago. Right? Right? This thing. So, do you, where do you feel we, like this, this is obviously asking for your personal opinion on this, where do you feel like we need to end up in terms of consumer protection or say just regulating cryptocurrency advertising in this country? Do you think we're doing enough or do you think we could do a little more? I think when we talk about crypto advertisement regulation, it, it is not just about a disclosure or maybe you put up a disclaimer statement and saying that you're doing it at your own risk. It does not end there. This is a financial instrument, if I may call so, or a new asset class, which is still work in progress and thereby it might have implications. It might make someone very rich. It might just end up selling off the tangible assets that you have for others. So, since it is such a volatile asset class and the volatility actually comes because the number of stakeholders in the ecosystem are less as compared to let's say a stock market more people are using it so obviously the market is relatively more stable now when we talk specifically about crypto advertisement i think prior to even disclosures or disclaimers what needs to be done is education at the base level and that education is more important because 
as you rightly pointed out, youngsters and youth are calling this thing as a new internet money and becomes a, a quick rich scheme kind of a thing. Yeah. It does not happen yeah. that way. It does not happen that way. You've got to understand the nuances of why a certain project is doing well and why a certain project is expected to do well or whether it has a tangible business supporting a certain coin or not. Now, that research reports, those, those validations from external players, those audits currently are not there. So ideally, people say that, okay, you can do your own research. But the question is that we do not have enough data to do your own research. So it's primarily right. that feeling based on that you are actually just sort of what we call as taking a plunge. <laughs> and you get into this ecosystem yeah. and then primarily it, it does have its own problems. So I do not deny that crypto has its problems, especially pertaining to advertisements where people are lured. Rather, we have case laws in US wherein the projects have been uh, barred primarily because they advertisement was mischievous this is the word used by the US Fed that they they were they were assuring that almost assuring 18% returns now in US 18% returns are completely unheard of and from that perspective lots of vulnerable people get sucked into these kind of schemes so primarily from this perspective, I, I would say that you've got to step in, understand, educate yourself. There's lack of data. Yes, uh, it's a new industry. Yes, taxation guidelines, maybe professionals, tax filing pro- professionals may not be able to correctly guide you. Uh, so it's so it's it's a new thing. Even the government across the world have not much issued uh, uh, any details on how tax disclosures. Of course, there's an HMRC disclosure in the UK website, but India has not come up with a very clear guideline on what is a taxation disclosure. So you are on your own. But from that perspective, at most what you can do is that reasonably research on this matter and keep a trail of all the transactions because there would be a time the government will still come back and ask. Of course, of course. Of course. And and what you're basically saying is more than just putting a fence around the pool, we have to teach people how to swim in this water first, like before we even let them in. All right. Okay. Uh, thank you, Varun Sethi. This has, as usual, been a very illuminating conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for the clarity on what's happening in the markets, what's happening with regulation in places like Russia and as we will maybe find out in the budget session in India as well. Thank you so much for your time. Once again, if if, if you do want to look up Varun Sethi, he's building a very, very cool product right now, which is going to bring blockchain education to people all across the country in many languages. I don't want to spend too much time talking about it because I can't wait for it to develop further and I can't wait to see it. But this has been a show about crypto. And thank you so much for listening, everybody. And thank you again, Varun Sethi. Thank you so much for having me.